So we're starting a new series today. Uh, we are going to be spending the next uh, 12 weeks in Psalms. Now, if you have a hard copy of the scriptures and uh, if you kind of go right toward the middle of your Bible and just let it fall open, you'll probably hit Psalms or Proverbs. And uh, we are actually going to be moving around this book some, so there's not going to be particular text you're going to turn into. Uh, but I do, I do invite you to open up your scriptures if you have a copy. In uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's masterpiece, uh, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy, Two Hobbits. Now, if you don't know what a hobbit is, Google will be your friend, okay, you poor benighted soul. Uh, two hobbits, Merry and Pippin. They escape a band of orcs and they go into a, a very, very old forest. And there they meet an ancient creature called an ent. Uh, this one happens to be named Treebeard. I think we probably have to pay some royalties to uh, Peter Jackson for this one. But uh, they fall into this, 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 they have to convince this guy that he's not, they're not orcs, so so he doesn't smash them as well. But they fall in with him, and uh, eventually he offers them some food. And it's food that mortals are not used to eating. It's it's an int draft. It's a drink of uh, int water. And... This has a very, very peculiar effect on uh, Merry and Pippin. So most hobbits kind of range between two and, and four feet high, but by the end of the trilogy, they're pushing five feet, and they can actually ride a horse. So they become giants among hobbits. There are some very, very strange effects by drinking this, this ancient water. You know, I may be the only one, but uh, do you ever grow weary of lack of growth in your life? where you feel like if you cut off the drip of, you know, worship songs and the next book that you've picked up to help you make up for your deficiencies, that if you cut that stuff off, that you would quickly lapse into unhealth spiritually. Or maybe I could try a different analogy. Do you ever wish that there were some training wheels for your devotional life? where something that would kind of like teach you what it means, what it looks like to be a, a devout person before God. Or to use another analogy, do you ever wish that you had a mirror that showed you not just what you looked like on the outside, but when you look at it, you actually can see what your emotions are before God. So a mirror, training wheels, um, some sort of, of power to grow. You know, if you ever feel that way, what maybe you need is some stronger stuff. Maybe you need some ancient food. And in the Psalms, we have access to a very, very ancient food source. So these were written over a millennia. They were written from the years of uh, the 15th century all the way to the 5th century. And they were written in many, many different situations. And so you have psalms that were written like before there was a kingdom. You have psalms that are written when the kingdom of Israel was unified and it was kind of in its golden age. You have psalms that were written during the exile when they were captured by Babylon. You have psalms that were written after the exile. In fact, it's most likely that these psalms were compiled and put into their five books and arranged the way they are by Ezra. And, and they're very, very ancient. Uh, some of them are written by Moses, at least one of them was, by David. And some of them are people we wouldn't even really know, Korah and his sons and temple officials and musicians. And uh, finally, they were curated and organized by uh, scribes, 
probably by Ezra. Now, so what? All right? Who cares? That's a lot of really cool trivia and stuff. But, but here's the point. The Psalms are public domain. They were meant to span eras. Because they had to go across so many eras to get to us, they translate very, very nicely into our era. Because there was no particular situation. Now, every once in a while, you'll see something that says, like, hey, David wrote this when he was being pursued by Absalom. But generally, you cannot assign it to a particular situation. And that is on purpose. It was not meant to be that specific. And finally, it was gathered and organized. Now, that's important because it was meant to be used by God's people, by individuals and by congregations. We are meant to take on the psalmist's voice. This is one situation where appropriation is a very, very good thing. You were meant to appropriate the psalms. The I of the psalms is supposed to become me. The we of the psalms is supposed to become us. You know, stuff isn't good just because it's old. But some stuff is old because it is good. These are a distillation of millennia of saints in conversation with God. And it's a very unique book. In the Psalms, we have something new. So before the Psalms, we had history books where, you know, it would tell about the history of Israel. We had um, law. This is not law, although it talks about and praises the law. We have wisdom. And, and, and Psalms, some of these are wisdom literature. It, but never before has there been a conversation of saints with God that are recorded. Like, this is what our devotional life is supposed to look like. The prophets would, would, would kind of put a lens on God and say, this is what God's like and what you must do. But never before did we have a mirror where we could look into it and we begin to see ourselves in conversation with God. And this is so useful because it shows us what is appropriate for us to say to God. Sometimes if you read the Psalms in a modern translation, especially something like Eugene Peterson's The Message, where all of a sudden it gets really, really earthy. The Psalms were not supposed to be stained glass. They were supposed to be like in the language of the people. And and you read one of these fresh translations and you're like, whoa, am I even allowed to talk to God like that? It also shows us what's effective. Sometimes we just don't know what to do with our emotions. But if you spend time in the Psalms, you will find out a way that you are supposed to address God. What to do when you are sad. What to do when you're angry. We're supposed to speak them. And we have. That's why when I read Psalm 23 at a funeral, as I do so often, I will look up and almost every single lip will be mouthing those words with me. We have taken the Psalms, we have appropriated them. Before our Bibles were conveniently located on our phones, uh, sometimes you didn't want to carry this whole thing around, and so you would get just the New Testament. And almost every single time, you know it would be bound with the New Testament? Sometimes Proverbs, but almost always Psalms. Now, I think that if you're a follower of Jesus and you were going to end up in a gulag somewhere and they said, okay, we'll give you one book, what would be the no-brainer answer? The Bible. But what if they said you can only have one book out of this compilation of books? What would it be? The more time that I spend around mature saints of God, 
the more I see them migrate to this book. And I think that their answer would probably be, give me the Psalms. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to enjoy an ancient food together. And my hope is that we're going to discover together what God's people have known for centuries, that the Psalms are food for the soul. The Psalms are, could we say, soul food. I want us to see today that the soul that feeds on the Psalms will feel its effects. Now, my goal today is not to teach you everything that there is to know about the Psalms. I mean, to be honest with you, you could go get your study Bible or a commentary, and they would teach you all kinds of stuff that you need to know about understanding the Psalms. So that is not the goal today. But what I would like to do is to help you by the end of this time together want to feed on them. And so to that end, I'm going to give you a, a taste flight, okay? We're going to have a sample of Psalms, and I'm, then I'm going to give you some very, very minimal comment on them, and then we're going to talk about some of the effects on the soul that tends to dine on the Psalms. So let's talk about this soul food. The enthronement Psalms. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. The enthronement psalms. Enthronement songs celebrate God's kingship. Kingship over what? Everything. And everyone. Over creation. As you read through psalms, you'll know you're on an enthronement psalm when you've got a cosmic king. And so you've got God with the earth as his throne or the earth as his footstool. You'll see phrases like this one start off with, the Lord reigns. We see this in a number of psalms. You'll also see phrases like the great king or he comes to judge. You'll also be kind of keyed into an enthronement psalm if you hear these kind of earth-shattering phrases. We just heard some of them, like floods and thunder and trees clapping their hands and mountains quaking. This is all talking about the splendor of God. The soul that feeds on enthronement psalms is going to have the effect of what I've heard termed before significant insignificance. Now, I've never had the privilege, but if you've ever stood at the brink of the Grand Canyon and just seen the scope of things, I've heard you just feel small. If you've ever sailed into the raging cataract at the foot of the Niagara Falls on the Maid of the Mist, you just feel what awesome power is. Most recently, we've seen the uh, the James Webb telescope sending back just unimaginable, mind-blowing, deep-field images. And, and you learned that, that these smudges on the back of this are galaxies. And you feel insignificant. But we're also significant. In the enthronement psalms, we as creatures address the cosmic king. And he hears us. And he knows our name. And in being known, we find our place 
you know, the fans of, of comics know the power of the origin story. The origin story isn't necessarily about time. It's just a little bit more about the beginning of something. And in the Psalms, we find the origin story. And you know that the origin story is privileged information. And as we read things like he established the foundations of the earth, uh, our origin, if you go all the way back through time and space till you get to the very, very, very beginning, what you will find, the witness of Scripture, is that you will find a person there. An absolute person, a person that is absolute and cannot be broken down. God cannot be broken into atoms. He is the absolute stuff from which everything flows, and he is a person. And that's important because he's a person, and that means that you are a person. And that your personality is not something that's just going to ebb and flow into the muck of history. You were created to know this God. He is absolute. And when you get that, it moves us to praise. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Another effect of this beyond significant insignificance is is the fact that, you know, you are not going to be able to escape the unwelcome things of life. You will not be able to escape the unexplained You won't be able to escape the unexpected. You just can't. You will hit them. But when you do hit them, you can know and confront them that there is a powerful king, and he has said that he intends to bring all things into the counsel of his will, and that he is doing it for our good. These are some of the effects of enthronement psalms. Royal psalms. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. In royal songs, an earthly king So enthronement songs have a cosmic king. In these songs, you have an earthly king, very, very prominent. These probably come from that golden age when Israel's kingdom was united and David was there. They celebrate occasions. You'll get coronations, you'll get weddings, you'll get uh, battles. But what these, these psalms do, they hold up before the actual king some of the dimensions of the ideal which he is meant to embody. These psalms consciously are going to await a king whose right it is to reign. That is from a scholar named Alec Machier. So what what he's saying here is that you've got a human king, and the Davidic king was supposed to like model some of these things, but he couldn't do all of them. You were waiting for the one who was to come. So so they speak to the present king, but they're pointing to the king. For example, Psalm 2, which is a coronation psalm, is repeatedly applied to Jesus. These words may sound familiar to you. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When Jesus was baptized, the voice of God came down and said, you are my beloved son. The New Testament writers repeatedly applied these verses to Jesus' resurrection. So the soul that feeds on these royal psalms are going to increase in what I might call Messiah awareness. 
Now, our British cousins across the sea, you know, and our neighbors up north, eh? Um, they have the advantage of us Americans because we have this uh, thing about kings, don't we? You can file that under the revolution. But why are there Anglophiles among us? Why are there people who, like, they tune into every single thing that's happening with the royal family? I mean, that coronation the other day, they were, they were listening to it. Why is that? Well, I think there's something about the pageantry, about the symbolism, and about the loyalty that's just fascinating to us. The royal psalms point us to Christ, the ideal king. And in the passage that we just read, Jesus did echo all of this. Jesus did, excuse me, God did save his anointed. He did answer him with his saving right hand. Jesus did not trust in the military, but in the name of God. He answers us when we call. And so as the I becomes the I of the psalm and the we becomes the we of it, we learn to appreciate what it means to have loyalty and be a subject. I think these royal psalms also deliver us from a danger. On occasion, I've had reason to uh, go to the mall and ended up in Build-A-Bear for whatever reason, where kids can uh, make their ideal companion. Yeah, some of you adults are smiling. It's like, no, I've done that. <laughs> okay, well, we'll let that go. Yeah, I think sometimes we are in danger of, of uh, Build-A-Jesus. You know, people fill Jesus with all kinds of different things. Well, my Jesus wouldn't, or Jesus. What we need is a multi-dimensional Jesus. And, and sometimes we think he's like a meteor where he just appeared out of nowhere. And the truth is, he's got a lineage. And this messianic lineage is seen in these psalms. And so when we read these psalms, like praising the beauty of this king and longing for the king and praying for his victory, we begin to get a fully dimensional Jesus on, in the Gospels, we will see his humiliation and his death with only flashes of his glory. But in these Psalms, we see his glory. They teach us to love him and long for him, even if we never will sing a bar of God Save the King on this earth. This is the effect of the royal Psalms. Pilgrim Psalms. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. As you read, you'll probably encounter a lot of talk about Jerusalem and the temple and Zion. Some songs like the one we just read have, have a trip. They're saying like, hey, it's time to go to the house of the Lord. And what this is referring to is the pilgrims that would, when there was a temple that they could go to, would make this annual trip to a festival to, the, to uh, Jerusalem. Psalms 120 through 134 are a special set called the Songs of Ascent. And these, are, these ha- cover the entire aspect all the way from the idea like, let's go to the house of the Lord to the trip where they are praying about the sun not smiting by the day and where does my help come from because there are things up in these mountains. These psalms will trace out the first time that they set feet and they see Jerusalem, when they're entering the gates, when they first see the temple, when, they, when they, the psalmist will talk about how blessed are the people who get to stay at the temple all year round. It even talks about what kind of worshiper is welcome at these festivals. 
And then at the end, it tells about the feeling that they have as they're leaving Jerusalem to go home. These are the songs of ascent. In other psalms, they aren't on their way to the temple, and they can't get there, and it may be because they're in exile. However, they are still longing for it. Psalm 23 is one of those. The phrase that I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here David longs for something that is not present. It's future. He is longing for the place where God is. Where God takes up his residence. His dwelling. And his expectation was that when his days on earth ran out. That he would be with God in the dwelling place forever. And so we see that for a saint who can't make it to the temple his heart is never away from the dwelling place of God. The soul that feeds on pilgrim songs will have their affection for sacred spaces grow. And and, and we need that. Now for Israel, that was the temple of God and the kingdom where, where David and his sons were raising. But that was interrupted even before the close of this canon. They, they didn't have that. They went into exile And it was replaced for a longing for a day when all this would be restored. For the saint that reads the pilgrim songs, we can equate this with our public worship. The joy of public worship can be ours even today. And so as I become the I of these pilgrim songs and we become the we of the pilgrim songs, we'll begin to learn to cultivate that joy. We'll begin to look forward to fellowship and praise and worship We'll even be praying for this group that are combined together. And if we are not here, our hearts will always be with our dwelling place with God. You know, the presence of God is ours all the time. But I think it is here in a very, very special way as we are guided by the word, as we, as we just did take the elements together, and as we worship through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we are hindered from that, as even they were, Uh, either by sickness or you're not mobile anymore, you're listening from home because you can't get out and you want to, we are never away from our dwelling place. We are not robbed of the word and of the spirit. So these are the effects of the pilgrim psalms. Lament. Look at Psalm 13. I'm going to break my rule here. I'm going to make a comment before we read it. All right? You're going to see four times how long. And then you're going to see three times lest or in case. And then you're going to see two occasions for praising in this brief little psalm. Let's read it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The lament is a special gift of the Psalms. Of all the Psalms, this is the one that speaks most to Christians, I think. The lament is a cry of an individual who is in distress or a nation that is in distress. 
Its aim is to move God to pity. Its aim to ask God to intervene in this situation, and it is intensely personal. You'll notice the, the, the pronouns. How long must I, how long will you, God, forget me? How long will they, my enemy, be exalted? This teaches us to pour it all out. Also within all of these laments, you will see a movement to praise. And we heard that, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. The amazing implication is this. God can be persuaded. Let that sink in. God is open to your influence. Your prayers move him. There are times where the lament may not even be theologically correct, like the one that cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we know that that is David becoming a prophet and looking down to the words of Jesus someday. But for the psalmist who is saying that, or the individual who says that, has God truly forsaken you? It's not even really theologically correct, because later on it says, God has heard me. So, no, he didn't forsake you. But, guys, listen. The point is that even if you're not exactly correct, the important thing is for you to pour it out. The cry needs to be made. I had a teacher that used to say, go ahead, fuss at God. Just stick around for his answer. The soul that feeds on the lament is going to feel a lot of effects. The very act of pouring out your distress to God is healing. It is something you must do. Naming your difficulty, naming what it is, like they did this to me. God, you didn't do this for me. Where are you? That very, very act is a healing act, and it is an act of faith. And when we become the I of these passages, we will be led into this migration of trust. It's been my experience, and and perhaps it's been yours, that individuals who are in distress can't think straight. Been there? Like, I'm in distress, and I can't even come up with the words. You know, I, I've, heard, I've heard this, I don't know where to attribute it, but don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. We read these psalms, guys, so that when we do get there, we have words. And if we will follow it, if we'll follow it, it will bring us to that place of faith, even if we are not there yet, and that is so important. The lament provides words for our stammering tongues and our crushed spirits. Finally, praise. This is a psalm of David. Bless the Lord for praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so your youth is renewed like the eagles. Some songs are just hymns. There's no situation. There's no anything. Just a call to praise. 
And this comes in like a call to an individual to praise, and it comes in flavor where congregations are called to praise. Some of these are actually in response to the lament that was just made, and those are called Psalms of Thanksgiving. The one that we just read reminds us of the wonderful blessings that he's lavished on us. Praise is the response. Remember we said if you go all the way back and find that origin story, praise is the response of grateful creatures. When you have a God who was absolute and relational and he needed nothing, he didn't need me, he didn't need you, he was happy in himself, he didn't have to create, he did. And the only response is gratitude and praise to this cosmic king, creator God, the rescuer of his people, our one two dwelling place. The soul that feeds on praise psalms will have their praise muscles strengthened. You know, we forget his blessings so easily and need to be reminded. You know, there are days where, you know, you're kind of in that slog. I, I just remember my kids after a certain period, it was like, we've got six weeks of school with no break. Yeah, you know, teachers, educators, you out there? And you're just kind of like, oh. And you get in and you're like, another day. You know, praise. Wake up and bless God. So our praise muscles need to be strengthened. But perhaps you've never learned praise at all. You know, you don't have to be out there too long to realize that complaint is just like the language of our culture. I mean, everybody is complaining about everything all the time. And if that's what you get a steady diet of, perhaps you never even learn the language of praise. And so you need to learn this, not to be reminded, but it will teach you what praise sounds like. You know, I, I'm thankful for songs that guide us in praise. I, I love new songs. I love the songs that we sing. But sometimes you've got to go back to the original top 100, man, and just learn to praise from these words. When you're miserable, often the antidote is just sheer praise, independent of your situation, independent of your feelings. So there are others we could speak of wisdom psalms and, and, and so forth, but we don't really need to because the point today is not to categorize all the songs so that you can master them and put them in your pocket. The point today is I want you to be encouraged to begin to feed on them. You know, I'm actually kind of, I, I'm encouraged. Like, you don't have to know, like, oh, this is an enthronement psalm. Just read it. Just soak it in. I mean, you'll get the effects even if you can't slap a label on it. I just want you to start to get to the point where you're like, I want to feed on this soul food, and I want to feel its effects. These psalms can meet you where you're at. So for the next 12 weeks, I invite you to join into this tasting. We're going to spend some time tasting different types of psalms. Um, you know, your reading can range all over Scripture. Maybe you started that you know, a uh, Bible program, and, you know, you hit numbers in Leviticus, and what, February, you're kind of like, oh, I can't do this. Well, make sure you're having a steady diet of the Psalms as well. It may get you through numbers. I love numbers. I'm sorry, I shouldn't, shouldn't rag on it. So let me, let me just encourage you with a few resources as we close. Um, the first is, is get a good study Bible. Um, I love the ESV study Bible. In fact, if you look at its notes, it will basically start out and tell you this is a hymn. This is a hymn of praise. This is, it will tell you what kind of psalm it is. And if you have questions, it can kind of fill you in. 
So it's not the only good study Bible, but it is a, an excellent study Bible. Uh, the second possibility is getting a fresh translation of the Psalms. Read it in a, a different version, perhaps a version that's not quite as literal, that tries to capture the idea. Um, but this particular one is, is special. The Psalms of the Day uh, by Alec Mochier. He's a late Alec Mochier. Uh, but every once in a while you stumble across a book that is so fresh that it, it's astounding. And that's what this is. It's 26 bucks on Amazon and worth every penny. I'd pay double that if I, if I needed to. So let me encourage you to possibly find yourself some good resources. So at the end of our time, I, I hope you're hungry. And, and I hope that this ancient food is going to strengthen us in a really astounding way. And uh, no matter where you go this summer... Like, we're going to come and go. We'll be, we'll be a little bit sparser, but you're never far from an ancient food source, and you're never far from spiritual health. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, you've said in your word, in sacrifice and in offering, you've not delighted, but you've given us an open ear. If the Spirit doesn't dig our ears out, we won't hear burnt offerings and sin offerings you've not required, God. And then we said, behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So, Lord, I pray that your words will begin to be in our heart and that we would be strengthened because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.